Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 15th of November, 2022, and this is episode 642 of Bitcoin, and the FTX snowball just keeps rolling downhill. And it's going to be this way for a while, okay? So yeah, uh, some of you may be going, hey, look, I, I get it, FTX. I don't need to hear any more about it. Yeah, we probably all need to hear about this multiple times. It wasn't enough. It was clearly not enough for Bitcoin maximalists to scream foul for the last God only knows how many years. And we are talking multiple years that we've been screaming foul on 99.99% of this entire quote unquote crypto space. All right. This really is the largest impactor that Bitcoin has ever seen. Multiple bad actors networked in a plethora of ways has woven a web that caught so much retail and bound it to itself that as it entered the Earth's atmosphere as the meteorite that it was, when it impacted ground, it really did shake the living crap out of a whole bunch of stuff. Mount Gox cannot hold a candle to this. The whole multiple hacks on sushi swap because it and, and all of the food related d5 garbage that we've been dealing with for the last three years because those things happened sort of like one at a time it didn't really it didn't really affect people's thoughts every once in a while elizabeth warren would get all ticked off about it and she'd say something but other than that it really yeah i mean in comparison to this it really wasn't it really wasn't a, an effective wake-up call this one, this one's an effective wake-up call. It, it really is. And that coupled with the fact that there's just not going to be a whole lot written over the next, at least for the, the I'm gathering probably for the remainder of this week. Maybe we get a respite on Thursday and Friday and some, you know, Bitcoin Magazine and, and, and Cointelegraph, Coindesk and Decrypt and, and Crypto Potato. Maybe they'll start writing stories about other things again. God knows, I hope so. But while we are here, we might as well take a good long look at the aftermath because very many times, you know, hindsight is, they say hindsight is 2020. They, that's for a reason. <laughs> they say that for a reason. It's not just because you look smart after the fact and go, well, I saw it a million, you know, from a million miles away. That's, I don't think that's really what hindsight is 2020 means. It means taking a good, long, clean look at what happened 
so that maybe maybe this time we can wrap our heads heads around all this stuff and have a better message to the people that we're trying to save to the a better message a, a better ticket to ride in the life raft that is bitcoin i don't know but i think it's important that we that we continuously look at this aftermath as things become clearer because as usual new information is coming to light and it will continue to come to light. So let me start this morning with the boostograms from yesterday's show. I have a couple. I have letter 6173 with the striper boost, FTX collapsing and forcing corporations to consider self-custody was better than the alternative. PTAR with the 5,000 sap boost says, I've been around long enough to know not to mess with shitcoins myself, but what your show has taught me is how to exactly sharpen my response when family and friends ask me what I think of Solana or some other garbage. I hope I saved a few. Pitar, I hope you saved a few too. I hope I helped you save at least one person. If I had any, any impact at all in a correct message formulation from you to those that you give a shit about, then I've done my job and the last four years was worth it. Thank you for telling me that. Jim Leahy, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. If not, tell me (laughs) and I will do my best to pronounce it. I don't mind mispronouncing names and news stories because I don't know these people, but y'all, I do know. And I do need to show my respect of pronouncing your names correctly as much as I can. So if I'm mispronouncing any one of your names, don't hesitate to let me know and light a fire under my ass. Jim Leahy, 420 Satoshis, says, I've said it before, you are the reason I became a Bitcoiner and stopped fucking around with exchanges and hold my Bitcoin in cold storage. Keep on killing it, brother. With your help, I hope I will, dude. I hope I will. At NW with 100 sap boost says, best part of the HODL meme from the original message. Quote, yeah, you good traders can spot the highs and the lows. Pit, pat, piffy, wing, wong, wang. Just like that and make a million bucks. Sure, no problem, bro. Just HODL. Yeah, again, I've said this a couple of times about that rant. The HODL meme, H-O-D-L does not mean hold on for dear life. It never did. It never will. It was a capitalized misspelling in a, either a Reddit rant or a Bitcoin talk rant. Can't remember which one. Pretty sure it was Bitcoin talk. Uh, Drunk ass whiskey fueled rant about people being stupid with their Bitcoin back when Bitcoin was like, a hundred dollars or something like that. It, hell, it may have been early enough that it was like 10 bucks that a single Bitcoin would have cost $10. And this guy just lit up the boards with this huge rant. And it was awesome for a whiskey fueled drunk ass rant. The only problem that this rant had was the miss whole misspelling of the word hold and he spelled it H O D L. And then, and then, even before he finished writing the rant, he recognized that he had misspelled hold and spelled it H O D L, recognized it, and then double downed on it, double down, doubled down on it. And it was a thing of beauty. If you ever, ever, ever 
ever get told that HODL means hang on for dear life, you are now equipped to be able to tell them, no, you're wrong. It never meant that. Let me tell you the story. While I tell you the story of FTX bankruptcy filing speculates that there are over 1 million creditors. 1 million creditors. Cointelegraph, Savannah Fortis. Mm, 1 million creditors, jeez. The FTX liquidation crisis turned bankruptcy saga continues as a recent filing reveals additional information. New information has come to light on Sam Bankman Fried's leadership in the exchange's final days. On November the 14th, a new document was filed in a United States federal court in Delaware where FTX US is based. It revealed that the exchange may have more than 1 million creditors in these chapter 11 cases. This comes after Sam Bankman-Fried's voluntary Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing on November the 11th. Oh, wow. Chapter 11 on 11-11. For you numerology guys out there, that adds up to what? 33. That's right. Anyway, it initially set forth that there were 100,000 creditors. These speculated 1 million creditors are said to belong to more than 100 different companies. Ooh, the contagion. If you ever, somebody says, oh, there's contagion in the markets and you don't know what that means. This is what that means. The document also highlights Sam Bankman-Fried's resignation on November the 11th and reiterates that the company is now operating with restructuring executive John J. Ray III as its CEO. FTX's new leadership petitioned to consolidate its claims into a single list consisting of 50 individuals and organizations due to overlap in the number of creditors involved. Quote, the debtors anticipate overlap among the various debtor-creditor lists and certain debtors may have fewer than 20 significant unsecured creditors. End quote. The company also asked permission from the courts to file electronically by email rather than post. I guess they mean actual physically sending the paperwork in by the United States Postal Service. The latest document also touched on Bankman Fried's final days as CEO of the exchange. It said in the lead up to the events of November the 11th, quote, questions arose about Mr. Bankman Fried's leadership in the handling of FTX's complex array of assets and businesses under his direction, end quote. As events surrounding FTX unraveled, Rumors began to surface regarding the former CEO's status and whereabouts. Currently, it is understood that he is under supervision in the Bahamas and potentially looking to flee to Dubai. The filing also highlighted the interest of global regulators as FTX was one of the world's largest exchanges. Quote, there is substantial interest in these events among regulatory authorities around the world. End quote. Following the industry-rattling events, many regulators spoke out in need of tighter, more defined crypto regulations. Maxine Waters, the chair of the U.S. House of Representatives Financial Services Committee, my God, she's the chair. Oh, wow, that's scary. Anyway, she warned of major consequences for those using unregulated crypto companies. Regulators in California and New York City also said that they would be looking into the collapse of the exchange. Outside of the U.S., federal entities in both the Bahamas and Turkey are investigating the situation. So there you go. 100,000 creditors 
has 10 x no, yeah, 10 x oh, no, 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 100 x overnight. Wait, 100,000? Was it, hold on, let me see. My numbers are screwed. Yeah, 10 x, 100,000 were initially estimated. It now looks like there are a million people that are in, well, that are on the sinking ship. Those, those are the those are all unsecured creditors. Of course, some will be more secured than others because you know if you haven't read Animal Farm, then you don't know what I'm talking about with the inference. But it's Animal Farm. Yeah, the pigs are going to get bailed out. They're, they'll be fine. The pigs will be fine. But the rest of the farm animals, <laughs> you're not seeing a penny. If you had any money in FTX and you're not a pig, uh, you're not getting your money back. This is really sad. You know, we worked, you know, Bitcoin maximalists worked really hard and at great personal risk, by the way. And I'm not talking about somebody's going to come kill us. I'm talking about reputational risk and having to suffer the slings and arrows and yada, yada, yada of the people that would literally point at us and laugh, call us tinfoil hatters, nutters, you know, pick your poison. We were called it all. We were given a label by Vitalik Buterin that we, you know, basically made our own. And we've been fighting this fight for years. And we're going to continue fighting. We're not going to give up. We're, we're not going to leave people out in the wind to twist because new people come in online all the time and they're just as susceptible as the people that were susceptible to getting into FTX and buying FTT token. This isn't ever going to stop. And rate, you could regulate this shit into the ground and it's still not going to stop. That's what no, nobody seems to understand that. It's not going to stop. The nature of the business of quote unquote crypto is digital. You're not going to be able to filter it all out. It's going, it, there, it, they'll just be black market and dark net crypto markets. Maxine Waters and Elizabeth Warren and any of the other people that seek to regulate this shit out of existence are just going to drive it underground. And then it's going to get worse. Hell, even the Bitcoin maximalists won't be able to help because we're probably not going to be touching dark, dark markets. <laughs> I don't know any, any of the OGs that delve into the dark market or the dark web. I just don't. And I know a lot of people. We don't care. It's not a play. It's not a place that you really want to be, but yet here we are. One hundred thousand creditors has turned into one million in twenty-four hours. Now, continuing with the discussion of the bankruptcy of FTX, Big Four accounting firm PwC has been approved as joint provisional FTX liquidators. This is from Decrypt.co, written by Tim Hockey. The Securities Commission of the Bahamas, where FTX is headquartered, has approved the liquidation of FTX's assets, according to a press release issued this morning. Last Thursday, the regulator issued an order to freeze the crypto firm's assets. The Bahamian or Bahaman, yeah, Bahaman, Bahamian? I guess that's how you pronounce it. The Bahamian regulator suspended the exchange's operation registration and asked the Supreme Court for a provisional liquidator to be appointed. Kevin Cambridge and Peter Greaves of Big Four accounting firm PricewaterhouseCoopers, or PwC, 
have now been approved by the court as joint provisional liquidators. The commission has also applied to the country's Supreme Court to appoint Brian Sims as the court-supervised provisional liquidator. A provisional liquidator does not distribute assets to creditors, but instead is put in place to preserve the firm's assets prior to a court hearing into a firm's bankruptcy filing. The commission will be liaising with other super supervisory authorities to get to the bottom of FTX's historic collapse. Quote, given the magnitude, urgency, and international implications of the unfolding events with regard to FTX, the commission recognized that it had to and moved swiftly to use its regulatory powers under the Digital Assets and Registered Exchange Act 2020, also known as the DARE Act, to further protect the interest of clients, creditors, and other stakeholders globally of FTX Digital Markets Limited, the commission wrote. At its height back in March, Sam Bankman-Fried's crypto empire was worth an eye-watering $26 billion. However, it all imploded last week when Binance CEO Shengpeng Zhao announced that it would be liquidating the exchange's considerable holdings of FTX's native token, FTT. In a highly dramatic week, a whopping $6 billion, $6 billion with a B, exited FTX in three days as customers rushed to pull their funds off the platform. Binance offered to bail out FTX on Tuesday, but U-turned 24 hours later, citing the latest news reports regarding mishandled customer funds and alleged UOS agency investigations. Uh, I don't know what UOS, I think that's a misspelling of United States agency. I don't know. Anyway, so <coughs> PricewaterhouseCoopers is now on deck and they're not, generally speaking, like people like the big four accounting firms, generally speaking, are not incompetent. PricewaterhouseCoopers, probably not incompetent. Let's watch and see what happens. How does a quote unquote legacy financial institution like PricewaterhouseCoopers conduct their activity, their ethics, and their job description in executing the primary liquidation of FTX? How will they act? I, I, I don't know, but it's, I think we should be watching their actions. Are they going to be above board about this? Because, you know, I could see, I could see chicanery going on behind the scenes in the liquidation of something that is so ill-regulated as the quote unquote crypto market. And I'm not calling for regulation. I'm just saying it is ill-regulated, right? It's still the wild west. And Liquid has found that out. And I'm about to read you a story about Liquid, but it has nothing to do with Blockstream's Liquid. This is a different Liquid. I want you to keep that in mind as I read this. Helen Parts, Cointelegraph, FTX-owned crypto exchange Liquid halts all withdrawals. The Japanese cryptocurrency exchange Liquid is the latest company to halt withdrawals amid the ongoing crisis of centralized crypto exchanges. The FTX-owned crypto exchange Liquid took to Twitter on November the 15th, that's today, to officially announce a suspension of fiat and crypto withdrawals on its Liquid global platform. Addressing the reasons for the suspension, Liquid cited compliance with the requirements of voluntary Chapter 11 proceedings in the United States, noting, quote, due to the Chapter 11 filing by FTX Trading International, 
the ultimate beneficial owner of Keyone PTE Limited liquid exchange, Keyone PTE, is halting all withdrawals, both fiat and cryptocurrency. The pigs will be bailed out. The lambs, the goats, the cattle, all the rest of you assholes out there, yeah, you ain't getting shit. The exchange emphasized that the latest measures are not a security-related halt, adding that it will provide more information at a later date. The firm also suggested that its users should not deposit either fiat or crypto until more updates are available. So you've halted withdrawal, but you're asking people not to deposit. Why don't you halt deposits? If I can't get my money out, there should also be a mechanism where I can't put my money in. You assholes. The news comes shortly after Liquid claimed that customer assets on Liquid wallets were not impacted by the FTX contagion, with the FTX exchange halting all withdrawals on November the 10th. Quote, we have conducted initial checks and see no unusual activity, Liquid said in a tweet on the uh, 12th of November. However, Liquid immediately announced a suspension of crypto withdrawals on its Liquid Global as a precautionary measure until additional security checks are completed. Bullshit. The November the 12th statement was Liquid's first appearance on Twitter since late August of 2022. It came shortly after Japan's financial services agency requested FTX Japan suspend business orders on November the 10th. Founded in 2014, Liquid is a major cryptocurrency exchange licensed under Japan's Payment Services Act through its Japanese operating entity, Quion Cap or Corporation. As previously reported by Cointelegraph, FTX acquired Liquid Group and its subsidiaries back in February of 2022. That's contagion. That's what contagion looks like. That's exactly what contagion looks like. And they are not going to bail out the rest of the farm. They're going to bail out the pigs that are living over in the farmhouse, even though all animals were created, you know, are, are, are created equal, right? That was written on the barn. Again, if you have not read animal farm, dude, read animal farm. All right. It's like, I read that shit in high school, right? It was required reading as a, what was I a junior? I think I was a junior or a senior in high school. And we had to read, 1984, Brave New World, uh, Animal Farm, uh, Scarlet Letter, you know, things like that. You know, that was, it's required high school reading. And if you haven't read Animal Farm, you're, you're really missing one of the greatest allegories ever written. It's another George Orwell great, dude. Anyway, so let's move on. FTX ends, uh, oh wait, I'm sorry, I misread that. After FTX implosion, It is time to end Bitcoin's dysfunctional relationship with crypto. Tim Niermeyer is writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine. Quote, Bitcoiners are trapped in a dysfunctional relationship with crypto and we want out. End quote. Michael Saylor. Amidst the carnage of the FTX drama. A moment of clarity illuminated the Twitter sphere. Michael Saylor's words were the signal in the noise resulting from the dysfunctional train wreck unaffectionately known as crypto. Before we can truly appreciate his insights, we should first meditate on what makes this relationship dysfunctional or, in the context of couples therapy, a toxic relationship. 
While many in the cryptocurrency industry were happily going about their life viewing their relationship with money, you know, trust, commitment, support, etc., in a positive light, they were ignoring the warning signs that their relationship was anything but healthy. Sure, all good relationships have their ups and downs. Disagreements happen. But overall, you share common goals and trust the other to have your best interests at heart. There's a certain level of expectation that your partner will support you. Communicate openly and honestly and refrain from controlling behaviors. Life this way is freeing and you're generally able to flourish. But what if one side does not have your best interest at heart? What if they are dishonest? What if there becomes a pattern of disrespect? What if they ignore your needs? Sure, you can hope for change, but you still feel drained, stressed, anxious, or depressed. Eventually, you want out. Your need for a positive, healthy relationship overwhelms the comfort of the known current relationship. The first step is admitting that there's a problem, acknowledging signs of a toxic relationships uh, of a toxic relationship is necessary. In regards to our relationship with money, support may be displayed in many ways. One way we support each other is through the ability to trust that our counterpart has our best interest at heart. The overwhelming problem with the cryptocurrency sphere, defined here as everything other than Bitcoin, is that it's still largely based on an expectation of trust. Whether it's FTX, Celsius, Luna, or the countless other scams and Ponzi's that are sewn into the fabric of the cryptocurrency industry, it's clear that having centralized entities controlling your value requires you trust the fallible seamstresses and their incentives. It's like the trust fall, an exercise in which one person lets him or herself fall without trying to stop it, relying on their friends to catch them. How many times do you allow yourself to fall to the ground before you lose trust? These recent fallouts in crypto continue to illuminate the inherent dishonesty in its DNA. Investors are deceived into a false sense of security in the relationship. It's a form of dishonest communication based on non-transparency and the over-leveraged nature of exchanges. Allowing humans to control money allows controlling behaviors to be coded into the system, which leads to growing resentment in the relationship. The relationship is further strained when the toxic side puts their needs ahead of your own. The needs of some CEOs often incentivize them into leveraging the customer's trust to benefit their gain. This display of negative financial behaviors is becoming all too common in the cryptocurrency industry. Again, non-Bitcoin-only entities. At some point, as my father would say, we need to separate the wheat from chaff. The first step is to accept responsibility. Not that you cause the situation per se, but that you acknowledge the situation that you're in and begin advocating for yourself. This can be done by investing in yourself. In the context of this article, that investment is education in Bitcoin as well as understanding the unintended consequences of adopting a digital fiat mindset present throughout the altcoin and centralized exchange industries. Once we shift from blaming to understanding, we allow ourselves to begin healing. The pain resulting from the recent developments will linger for a while, but it is our responsibility to not dwell on the past, but move forward with compassion. The next step in the journey to healing is allowing yourself to be vulnerable again. This can be attained by sharing your self-love with others, calmly and clearly explaining the benefits of Bitcoin, self-custody, and proof of reserves to friends and family. 
People recovering from a toxic relationship can benefit from finding support. It is the opinion of the author that Bitcoiners should be that support structure. It's ironic that many Bitcoiners are known as the toxic ones, who when they are the ones trying to illuminate the toxicity inherent in the ecosystem. That being said, and I told you so, doesn't assist in the healing process. This is the moment where we must rise above and lead with compassion. We should hold space in our hearts and allow others the time to heal and change. There will be many who do not recover from a toxic relationship of this magnitude. While we can continue to educate from a place of humility, we must remember that, quote, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, end quote. Everyone will ultimately heal in their own way and at their own pace. Some may never learn. We've probably all had a friend who's jumped from one toxic relationship to another. As many of you may want to help, they need to first choose to help themselves. Even more, some people will continue to tinder around with unhealthy cryptocurrency relationships. (coughs) That's their prerogative. If a friend of ours wants to be part of the hookup culture, that's on them. They have to deal with the consequences of STDs and the like. Regardless of the actions of certain exchanges of, or crypto in general, we must continue to espouse the benefits of Bitcoin in a positive light. Tell them how truth is born from truthlessness. Demonstrate how actual decentralization leads to pure democracy. Illuminate how immutability and permissionless systems allow for a free-flowing cooperative society. Michael Saylor acutely recognize the toxicity we are allowing to proliferate through the perceived connection to crypto. We must choose to move forward towards a Bitcoin standard for ourselves, our friends and family, and ultimately for society to flourish. Okay, I know what a lot of you are saying. Fuck them. Let them die. I get it. I'm halfway there. I've said it a couple of times over the last few days. But Tim has a good sobering snapshot of another way, you know, a way with compassion. And what I think might be, what might behoove us here is to understand to a extensively deep level what happened with FTX. Know the story in and out know the particulars of what, not only what happened, but how shit started rolling downhill. The contagion, if you will, right? Be able to verbalize what happened. Tell that story and compare it to actual Bitcoin, like your Bitcoin in your cold storage, how it was unaffected. The juxtaposition between telling those two stories You cap that off with the cherry on top, and that is when they inevitably come to price. Well, look at what happened to Bitcoin's price. There's your in, but you have to design that argument for yourself. I can't give it to you. For me, it would be, what is money? And, you know, I mean, uh, maybe I shouldn't frame it as a question. Maybe I should frame it more as a, I get what you're saying about price, but I've come to believe myself that fiat currency itself also is exactly like what happened to FTX. It just hasn't happened yet. And then go into what money is, what you think money is. 
generally speaking, I've gotten way more traction in trying to orange pill people with asking them the simple question of what money is before I hammer them over the head while they're in their underwear. (laughs) Sorry, Brandon. Um, With just buy Bitcoin. Why? Why buy Bitcoin? Why hold it in, in, self, in, in, cold, in cold storage and self-custody? Why? Why is money bad? What does the term fiat actually mean? I think, I, I think between those three things, telling the story of your Bitcoin and cold storage and how it was completely unaffected, understanding deeply the story of FTX and all the ramifications that are going to fall out of that shit in the next few months, And then a discussion of what money is and why you're not concerned about the price falling in of Bitcoin in fiat terms. I think, I think there's a nice little package there that you can set on somebody's doorstep and say, here, this is my compassionate response to the fact that you either got goxed on, on FTX or you were very, very close to it and you don't understand what the hell's going on. Let's run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities, West Texas Intermediate up 0.87%, excuse me, uh, $86.60 per barrel. Brent North Sea up uh, 0.64% to $93.76. Natural gas making the biggest move upwards 2.66%, $6.09 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline up scant to $2.53 a gallon. Barely a change there. All your metal rocks except palladium are down. Gold down the least amount, 0.1% to the downside, $17.75.20. Silver is down two and a third, $21.60. Platinum is down 0.9%. Copper is down 0.61. Agricultural futures are fairly well mixed. Biggest loser today is coffee, 3.77% to the downside. Biggest winner is cotton, up four and a half points. Wow, I wonder, can't imagine why. Uh, Dow, up a third of a point. S&P, however, up well above one point, one and a quarter. NASDAQ up two and a quarter points and the S&P mini likewise up damn near two and a quarter points. So I guess the markets are fine today, <clears throat> but sad news. I am no longer able to get bitinfocharts.com. I guess because they switched over to scanning for bots using Cloudflare and because I use a VPN to mask my IP because I got, you know, booted off of Twitter uh, from my old account, I do not want my new account to be booted off by being able to broadcast the same IP. So I have VPN on all the time. Now, I would just bail out of my Twitter account and release the VPN go to standard connection and load BitInfo charts. But guess what? It turns out that two-factor authentication on Twitter died last night or sometime yesterday. And I don't know if they've been able to get it back. So if I log out of Twitter or or if I bail out of Twitter in the browser, most of the time it comes back because the cookies are all set and all that kind of shit. And I, yeah, I know I shouldn't be using cookies, but hey, Come on, man. I can't watch everything all the time. If it didn't come back and I had to re-log back in, 
I can't get in because I got two FA set, right? I did the right, I did the right and proper thing by setting two FA and I'm hosed for it. Uh, what are you going to do? Okay. So we're going to go with Clark Moody Bitcoin. I'll try to see if I can get the hash rate off of it uh, without too many errs and ums. But right now there are 15,000 transactions waiting on 141 blocks to clear. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, sorry. Didn't mean to snort. I just find it too damn funny. Uh, we have a $325.7 billion market capitalization. And uh, that is 2.65% of gold's market cap. We can purchase if we so choose with our one Bitcoin, a 9.2 ounces of shiny metal rock. And there are in fact, 19,207,985.92 Bitcoin chilling out and 5,136.43 of those are locked in the lightning network valued at $87.1 million being run over 16,222 nodes sporting 77,500 payment channels and 67.4% of all that is run over Tor. Now, let me go find, do I have a hash rate? Somewhere on Clark Moody's dashboard is hash somewhere. Hash rate over the past 90 days is 244.4 exahashes per second. So I do not know. Oh, wait a minute. Nope, here we go. Hash rate over the last 2016 blocks is 263 exahashes per second. And because I don't have bit, uh, Bitcoin or BitInfo charts up, I don't know what your shitcoin indicator Dogecoin is doing, but honestly, do we really need it? Nah, that's gonna do it for the, that's gonna do it for vials. All right, all right, all right, all right. Bitcoin Magazine ushering you into the news that you can use. The Bitcoin Maxis warned you about FTX. This is written by Svetsky, Alexander Svetsky, in fact. The Bitcoin maximalists were right again. Damn them. Damn them to hell. This entire thing is their fault many a time, especially since 2020, I've heard variations of the following from people all across the crypto space. Quote, look, a billion dollar company isn't going to collapse overnight. That's just impossible. They're sponsoring an entire stadium for God's sakes. And you think their business model is to run off with your $2,000 worth of crypto? Don't be so stupid. It's safe enough to leave your Bitcoin on there. Self-custody is too complicated anyway. If we want mass adoption, custodians are important, end quote. These people's faith in VC-backed institutions is blinder than the most fundamentalist of religious zealots, only far worse placed. And these people behind these institutions are glorified and revered in the media as entrepreneurs while they're Opinions lead people directly to the slaughterhouse. Case in point with Mr. Wonderful below. And there's a tweet from Alan Farrington who says, fucking moron. And he's retweeting Guru Leaks with a picture of Mr. Wonderful. And there's a quote here in Guru Leaks tweet that says, if there is ever a place I can be and I'm not going to get in trouble, it's going to be at FTX, end quote. Mr. Wonderful, aka at Kevin O'Leary TV. Mm -hmm. 
Alan Farrington goes to reply to his own tweet, says the tide of artificially cheap money is going out and we are discovering who was swimming without the slightest fucking clue how to allocate capital. That's right, Alan. This proves much of what I discussed in my satirical article from October. You know, we're in late stage fiat when the smartest guy in the room these days are about as dumb as the rest of the lemmings marching into the lava. They're so used to easy money via their obfuscated proximity to the money printer that they have no idea why something like Bitcoin exists, why it's important, or why it's different. They can't see beyond the paradigm which has brought them success to date, and as such, they are utterly unqualified to comment on something as paradigmatically different as Bitcoin. Toxic! When Bitcoin maximalists turn warnings into memes, e.g. not your keys, not your coins, or proclaim the importance of sound money, e.g. Bitcoin fixes this, they are ignored as a group of A, zealots, or B, boring and outdated. Toxic is the blanket response given by the Mr. Wonderfuls, Bitboys, and Vitalics of the world. Well, here we are again. The reality of the Ponzi schemes is that they fall much quicker than they rise. And when their rise has been stellar, their fall is that much more meteoric. From Mt. Gox to BitConnect to Luna to BlockFi to Celsius to Voyager and now to FTX. They're all the same. And they are no different to every other cryptocurrency company on the market. Yes, I use the word company specifically. Because all these so-called projects are just that. Companies no different to FTX, just playing pretend with numbers conjured up out of code. And yes, that includes Ethereum, Cardano, Hex, Solana, Chainlink, and every single other cryptocurrency NFT or DeFi stupidity out there. Only Bitcoin is different. Only Bitcoin lacks, and I say this as a positive attribute, leadership and a head of the snake to chop off or to pressure. Only Bitcoin has an immaculate conception. Only Bitcoin had an organic market-driven emergence. Only Bitcoin is fixed. Only Bitcoin is finite. Only Bitcoin matters. Bitcoin maximalists who warned, warned you about all of the above have also been warning you about all of the shit coins as well. The time will come for each of those to either explode, implode, or fizzle out of existence. The only question is, what will it take for you to heed those warnings? Because the signs were there, not only the warnings. FTX was always fishy. I met its founder, Sam Bankman Friend, or SBF, on a yacht during Bitcoin 2021 in Miami. It was a private little sailing trip we went on with about 50 or 60 other people. I had no idea who he was other than some really unhealthy looking dude with a distended gut and a bad hairdo. We exchanged a few awkward words and I proceeded to go speak to the waitresses while he remained in a quarter eating hors d'oeuvres. One of the people on board the boat told me that he ran a company called FTX to which I responded, what the hell is that, another shit coin? His response was, no, it's one of the fastest growing exchanges in the world, man. I was intrigued, so I asked SBF a little bit about it, to which he responded that he had run a crypto hedge fund beforehand, was very successful, and put that money into building an exchange. 
At that point, I was running a Bitcoin-only app known as Amber back in Australia, and I remember thinking to myself, God damn it, these shitcoiners are literally printing money by feeding gamblers addictions. And here I am trying to help people stack sats sensibly. What a clown world. Anyway, I never heard or thought about him after that. Until I saw his home cooking with Beyond Meat tweets, the sickly physique made instant sense to me, and so did the shitcoinery. And here's a tweet. He's got a screen capture of a tweet from SBF underscore FTX, which is Sam Bankman Fried's personal Twitter. It says, one, and this is December 30th, 2021. Uh, one, little known fact, inconsistent with most other things about me, I cook most nights. I post some recipes here. Spoiler, most of these recipes are like this. One, put X in a pan. Two, put olive oil in the pan. Three, turn on the stove and fry X. Four, pour a lot of salt on X. Five, eat X. Ugh, that's not cooking. Whatever. Physiognomy matters, and while that may trigger some of you, the fact of the matter is that how you look is largely determined by your behavior, and your behavior is a manifestation of your values. Sure, there are some things you can't change, but by and large, you build and mold yourself into a reflection of what you value the most. Alas, I will save this talking point for a future article on why Bitcoin is aesthetic. For now, suffice it to say that poor physiognomy was a warning sign. Fake meat leads to fake businesses and a whole lot more fakeness in between, which I won't mention here as many people may get triggered. What will the future I told you so article be about? Probably the collapse of Ponzi-like cryptocurrencies, whose raison d'etre are pumpamentals, or Ethereum as it becomes a panopticon and merges with governments who aspire to issue central bank digital currencies. NFTs already seem to be dead. DeFi is in deep shit. But maybe there, maybe there's another round. Whatever it is, it's going to be painful for the myriad idiots who are following people like this. And he's got a tweet from Lyron Shapira. And it says, the Bankless H2 guys are taking this hard and there's a link to a video from their one of their last episodes of Bankless HQ. Hey, you want to hear it? Let's do. I got nothing, man. How you how are you feeling about this, David? It's like we have these like super awesome foundations and this like they just keep on enabling the worst. Do you think that like this- it's hard to justify what the hell we're doing here, man? Is it a problem with kind of the social layer? Uh, it's like if we'll make these super cool applications and then scammers just can leverage them better. Nexo is your financial hub for all your crypto needs. Uh, I just want to make it clear that we are not sure where the next contagion to happen is. Um, we sign these sponsors kind of like three months in advance. And so we have to finish our commitment with Nexo. And they also give you an instant crypto line of credit with as low as 0% APR. So when someone asks you about crypto after this week, do you have a different answer for them about why I it's important? I don't even want to talk about it. I mean, I think you're, I think you're like reflecting how a lot of people feel right now. Uh, we've really just been brutalized by this. And they also give you access to a crypto-backed MasterCard 
of course, earning you more crypto when you use it. It just gets worse the more that it happens. It's just, a, I don't know, man. Yeah, that was a cut uh, of their show. And clearly they were, <coughs> whoever did the editing on that was editing in the uh, Nexo commercials. Uh, and you heard one of the bankless guys say that, uh, you know, they signed these guys up, you know, three months out and, and they've got this contract and they, they do it. This is one of the reasons why I, I don't fight for sponsorships because they, they inherently come in with the fiat legacy mindset. So they're shilling fucking Nexo while they're crying about what happened with FTX knowing that Nexo is probably next O. Got it? And he's crying like a little bitch because he got duped like everybody else. You know how many more listeners Bankless HQ has than I do? We're talking orders of magnitude. I'm one of the smallest fish in this pond. Why? Because I just absolutely refuse to fucking lie to people. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not prepared mentally to take on that karmic burden. I'm not going to do it. That's why I don't have slick, you know, ad sponsors and shit like that because I just can't. You know, apparently Peter McCormick pulled all of his money out of BlockFi. I don't know if they're still a sponsor, but he didn't tell any of his listeners at all that he was pulling his money out of BlockFi because he didn't want to damage what was going on over at BlockFi. I, I, you cannot make this shit up, but let's get back to Svetsky. I mean, you couldn't make up such poetic irony even if you tried, saying things like, one, CFI failed while being sponsored by Nexo. Two, we build cool shit and people use it for bad reasons. Three, is it a problem with the social layer? Much like Marxists, hosts like this, along with those behind failures like FTX, have a very, very poor understanding of human nature. They think that if you just build cool shit, the world will become a better place and that you could one day fix the social layer by turning everything into some transhuman smart contract. They fail to realize that constraints are not just important, but necessary, especially with respect to the language of value. That's actually the answer to points two and three above. What they see as flaws in Bitcoin are precisely its primary set of assets. Bitcoin is superior because idiots like SBF, Vitalik Buterin, Roger Ver, Richard Hart, and the rest of the charlatans can do nothing to influence it. Children like this, with no life experience and no understanding of psychology, traditionally had zero influence. It's no surprise that in a clown world, their voices carry weight. Imagine what they're going to do when Ethereum falls apart and their hero, Vitalik, becomes the next SBF. I don't think they're ready for it. The silver lining? What does it all mean? What do we do with all this? Well, there is a silver lining, always. Some have said that FTX debacle, this one, hot on the heels of similar fates for Luna and Three Arrows Capital, has set the industry back by years. Thank God. I agree only insofar as the price of Bitcoin may be affected in the short term. Otherwise, I wholeheartedly agree disagree. If anything, I think this entire event has brought some reality to the so-called industry and shown everyone what it really was on the inside. One big hot air balloon.
the Bitcoin industry, while perhaps inflated by the excessive interest in crypto, is now closer to where it should have been at this point in its evolution. A lot of the dumb ideas like NFTs and tokens on Lightning will probably dissolve and disappear while capital allocation toward Bitcoin will renormalize. Much of the phantom wealth in all of the mind-numbingly stupid shit coinery so rampant these last few years should evaporate. And real capital will look for real innovation and business models in and around Bitcoin. Bitcoin will have moved from institutions, crypto companies, VCs, shitcoiners, and weak hands into the cold storage wallets of Bitcoiners and long-term hodlers. A new price floor will develop and the next phase of growth will commence. This is all net good, all of it. In that sense, SBF, Du Quan, and Su Zhu are the saviors that we never asked for, but that humanity, humanity at large deserved. We're in a clown world, so why not have saviors with a clown complex accidentally wipe themselves and their dumbass fiat industry away with them? I mean, just look at the FTX venture portfolio. To know that all of this junk is up shit creek without a paddle brings me levels of joy I've not felt since Bitcoin broke the prior all-time high in 2021. And there's a picture of Alameda Research and FTX Ventures portfolio. And oh my God, there's got to be at least, I don't know, at least 50 companies here. Voyager's part of it too, by the way. That's, that's, yeah, yeah. God, Taki, who else is on here? Data analyst. Oh, Mazari Capital's on there. Verify, VASP. You get the you get the picture. Anyway, while groups of 20,000 people spend the next few weeks on Twitter spaces in disbelief, wondering how this could have happened, a small number of newly minted Bitcoin maximalists will have been born. A large number of the recent minimalists will have had their positions validated, and the veterans, well... We'll sit back and continue, continue to tell you so. Some of us in more eloquent ways, others in more colorful ways. And next time around, we'll probably be ignored again, but it's okay. At least we get free entertainment. There you go. There you go. Maximalists were right again. We were right again. We're going to continue to be right. We're not going to ever be wrong. The only way that a Bitcoin maximalist can be wrong is if the Bitcoin maximalist becomes a shitcoiner and then they're wrong. Bitcoin buyers are drawn by rising prices and not dislike for banks, however, according to the Bank of International Settlements, you know, the central bankers, central bank, Jesse Coughlin, Cointelegraph. Bitcoin investors are more likely enticed by the cryptocurrency's rising prices rather than this, their dislike of banks or its perceived use as a store of value, a new report from Bank of International Settlements suggests. In a BIS Working Papers report published on November the 14th, the central bank body looked into the relationship between Bitcoin prices, crypto trading, and retail adoption. It studied the the drivers of crypto adoption by retail investors using crypto trading app downloads as a fucking proxy for adoption and user investments at the time of download. Whoa, that's not credible information, but let's just go on. <clears throat> it found out that a rise in the price of Bitcoin is associated with a significant increase in new users. 
i.e. entry of new investors, and that most retail investors downloaded crypto apps when prices were high. The BIS presented evidence that daily downloads of crypto exchange applications increased with the rapidly rising price of Bitcoin between July and November 2021, peaking when Bitcoin's price was between $55,000 and $60,000, roughly one month before its November 2021 all-time high of just over $69,000. It added 40% of crypto app users were men under 35 and were part of the most risk-seeking segment of the population. From this, it surmised, quote, Users are being drawn to Bitcoin by rising prices rather than a dislike for traditional banks, the search for a store of value or distrust in public institutions. Quote, the price of Bitcoin remains the most important factor when we control for global uncertainty or volatility, contradicting explanations based on Bitcoin as a safe haven, it added. The BIS assumed app users purchased Bitcoin at the time of downloading a crypto app and subsequently supposed that up to 81% of users would have lost money if they had purchased Bitcoin over $20,000. The BIS's assumptions and assuming shit makes an ass out of you and me, that's my little notation there, seemingly correlates with data from blockchain analysis firm Glassnode, who on November the 14th confirmed that just over half of Bitcoin addresses are in profit reaching a two-year low. The BIS added its analysis of blockchain data found as Bitcoin prices rose, smaller users purchased, and the largest hodlers, so-called whales or humpbacks, were selling, making a return at the smaller user's expense. It also documented, documented the geography of crypto app adoption and found between August 2015 and June 2022, Turkey, Singapore, the United States, and the United Kingdom had the highest total downloads per 100,000 people, respectively. India and China had the lowest, the latter seeing only 1,000 crypto app downloads per 100,000 people, with the BIS opining that greater legal restrictions on crypto hamper retail adoption in those countries. Oh, bullshit. BIS couldn't find their ass from a hole in the ground. And that's good for us. That's good for Bitcoin. As long as these assholes keep looking at metrics that just don't matter, then they will always be in the fog of war. And that's exactly where I want that fat-faced fuck, Augustine Carstens, to remain for the rest of his natural-born life. Him and all the rest of the sad sack suckers that hang around his ass. Because as long as they can't see what the hell's going on, and we can, then the one-eyed man in the kingdom of the blind is sovereign. Now, I've got a tweet here that kind of is annoying. Very, very annoying to me. Because after I've said all this, I see something forming. And Mr. Whale on Twitter, sees it forming too. Caveat, I don't know if the following is absolutely true, but I'm not going to dismiss it out of hand because I don't know. It is a warning shot. I think you should take it seriously. Unknown entity becomes largest Bitcoin whale in existence after accumulating $2.4 billion worth of Bitcoin. That's a single Bitcoin wallet. It holds 2.4 billion with a B 
United States dollars worth of fiat value uh, denoted in Bitcoin because the wallet holds Bitcoin. $2.4 billion makes this particular collection of Bitcoin the largest singly held stash of Bitcoin in existence and it's annoying the shit out of me. Is it already forming again? Is there going to be another Luna Foundation guard that's already collecting from the misfortune and the blood in the streets that are that flows constantly in this space? Have they already gorged themselves and put them in a position to be the next dumbasses that do something stupid? Or is it somebody with ethics? Because there's really only two ways that we go, Western man. We're either going to have another bloodbath later on down the road, or there's going to be some ethics in this space, but there's not going to be, it's not, I don't think this is the shades of gray situation. I think you should be <coughs> mindful. I think you should be watchful of this $2.4 billion in Bitcoin in this address. I don't think we should panic. I don't think we should freak out. I don't think we should jump to conclusions. But by just dismissing it as, oh, there's possibly, there's nothing that could happen. I think that's just as dangerous as putting on the tinfoil hat and saying this is Luna Foundation Guard 2.0. I think even though that the two options we have are not shades of gray, I think the way that we think about this should also be in or should be in shades of gray. Maybe we lean, lean a little bit to the tinfoil hattery. Maybe we lean a little bit to the nothing's going to happen. But I don't think either one of those extremes is a good way to think about $2.4 billion in Bitcoin being singularly held. Because I, I don't think that's Michael Saylor. There, there would have been, well, there would have, at least in the United States, there would have had to have been disclosures if it was Mike. Well, maybe it's Michael Saylor. He's a private individual, but certainly can't be microstrategy because they would have had to have denote that. We would have known. Okay, so keep your eyes peeled for stupid shit like this. Now, FTX attacker still owns altcoins worth $338 million. Liam Kelly from Decrypt.co tells us a little bit more about this draining of the FTX wallets that I was telling you about yesterday. Anyway, a day after FTX filed for bankruptcy, the firm's hot wallets were drained by hackers, walking away with nearly $650 million in altcoins. Now, after various bridgings and on-chain chicanery, the attacker is left with holding of more than $367 million across various major blockchains. The attacker laundered proceeds using decentralized exchanges and cross-chain bridges, reported blockchain intelligence firm Arkham Intelligence. According to Elliptic, cross-chain bridges are widely used by hackers to launder stolen funds. Chain hopping, the movement of stolen funds between different blockchains, help hackers evade tracing by enforcement agencies. And here's what went down. On November the 12th, 2022, roughly $650 million in ill-gotten funds were routed from FTX's hot wallet to two wallet addresses, one on Solana and the other on Ethereum. 
Since then, the hacker's wallet address bridged the funds to different blockchain networks, including Binance Smart Chain, Polygon, and Avalanche, according to data from respective block explorers. Law enforcement agencies were, however, to freeze nearly $20 million in Paxos gold tokens linked to the attack on November the 14th. According to data from DBank, the hacker's wallet address holds nearly 228.5 million Ethereum and 8,184.9 Paxos gold tokens on Ethereum. On Binance Smart Chain, the wallet holds nearly 108.4 million BNB and 1.68 million DAI stablecoin. Avalanche hosts about 3.9 million in Tether stablecoin USDT in the hacker's wallet address. According to data from SolScan, the hacker's Solana wallet address owns nearly 144,999 Sol and 27.5 million USDT. In total, the hacker holds nearly $338 million worth of altcoins and is the 35th largest Ethereum hodler, according to data from Etherscan. Arkham Intelligence has yet to respond to Decrypt's request for comment. So... Who is this? Who is this individual? Oh, you can only conjecture. Nobody knows. All right. And anybody who tells you that they know probably lying and probably is going to ask you to send them a Bitcoin and they'll send you two back. Because that's what all this FTX was shit. This shit was in the first place. In fact, BlockFi, I'd mentioned that before in the whole Peter McCormick thing. Their entire business model was to take your money and put it on FTX, get their yield and give some of it to you. That was BlockFi's entire business model. Who owns this particular set of wallets? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to end it this way. We're, we're, we're going to, we're running a little bit long, but this one's important because I mentioned the whole crypto regulation bill that was helped, you know, that SBF himself helped to draft or at least his lawyers or whoever he hired to do it drafted. Let's find out more about the SBF bill. What's in the crypto legislation backed by FTX's founder, Coindesk, Cheyenne Ligon is writing this one. The swift and surprising collapse of crypto exchange FTX last week continues to send shockwaves across crypto industry and beyond. Capitol Hill isn't immune. Former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried was... Until last week, a major political donor, he gave $5.2 million to U.S. President Joe Biden's presidential campaign and spent another $40 million supporting mainly Democratic candidates ahead of the November midterm elections and an influential figure in Washington. Bankman-Fried regularly met with regulators and lawmakers weighing in on how the crypto industry should be regulated. He was a vocal supporter of one bill in particular, the bipartisan Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act, or the DCCPA, a still-in-progress bill backed by Senate Agriculture Committee Chairwoman Senator Debbie Stablno from Michigan and ranking member Senator John Boozman from Arkansas. This year, Bateman Fried donated at least $26,600 to Stablenow, or Stabnow, and $8,700 to Boozman. In June, he donated 16600 to Kristen Gillibrand, who signed on to the bill in September. And in 2021, he donated $5,700 to Senator Cory Booker from New Jersey, another co-sponsor of the bill. Huh. 
That bill sits at the intersection of the existential question now facing the crypto industry. Why did FTX collapse and how can repeats be prevented? I don't think that's this existential question, dude. FTX was a centralized exchange, a single point of failure that indeed failed, seemingly because of choices made by Bankman Fried in the crypto ecosystem. Many crypto purists, on the other hand, argue this is a moment to double down on crypto's origin stories, which critics of the DCCPA argue the bill would undermine. Born in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis, Bitcoin was proposed as a decentralized way of running a financial system. Today, that idea lives on in decentralized exchanges like Uniswap and the rest of the decentralized finance ecosystem. Fuck you, Coindesk. DCCPA's detractors would say it would effectively kill DeFi in the U.S. by making it impossible for large players like Uniswap to comply, which would entrench centralized exchanges. The argument is basically that the regulatory requirements outlined in the latest draft of the bill amount to a de facto ban on DeFi. In the wake of FTX's collapse and Bankman Fried's subsequent fall from grace, opponents of the bill have proclaimed the DCCPA to be dead a supposition that lawmakers, including the bill's sponsors, have pushed back upon. In a statement issued November the 10th, Boozman said the collapse of FTX only reinforced the need for more federal oversight into the crypto industry. Quote, Chairwoman Stabnow and I remain committed to advancing a final version of the DCCPA that creates a regulatory framework that allows for international cooperation and gives consumers greater confidence that their investments... <gasps> are safe, Boozman said. With his statement, Boozman joined a bipartisan group of lawmakers, including Cynthia Lummis, Elizabeth Warren, and Sherrod Brown, who have expressed concern about the collapse of FTX and the need for crypto regulation. As one of the most fully formed pieces of potential crypto legislation, it seems the DCCPA is not in fact dead, despite the shadow cast over it by Bankman Fried's ruined legacy. The DCCPA aims to amend the Commodity Exchange Act to give the Commodity Futures Trading Commission oversight of the crypto spot markets. Under the DCCPA, crypto broker dealers would be required to register with the CFTC and submit to oversight from that federal regulator. The bill can be roughly divided into two sections. Requirements for crypto commodity platforms, which includes brokers, dealers, custodians, and exchanges, and requirements for the CFTC. Crypto commodity platforms would be required to maintain a relationship with the CFTC similar to other commodity dealers. For example, they would need to keep good records for at least five years, share information with the CFTC upon request, appoint a chief compliance officer, and submit to provisions that protect against fraud, deceit, and manipulation. The DCCPA also requires that crypto commodity platforms have adequate financial resources to hold customer funds in a manner that minimizes the risk of loss or of unreasonable delay in access to the customer's property. Commingling of customer funds with the broker-dealer's assets is strictly prohibited something Bankman Fried has been accused of, as is investing customer funds in anything other than United States treasuries or other high-quality liquid assets that the commission may by rule or regulation prescribe.
Unlike several of its predecessors, the DCCPA also has a lengthy definition section that carves out exemptions to the rules for non-commodity platform entities, including software developers and validators. The CFTC is also not given jurisdiction over any crypto transactions used in the purchase of a good or service. The DCCPA also requires the CFTC to produce several reports within 180 days of the bill's passing, including one on historically underserved customers <coughs> that will examine the racial, ethnic, and gender demographics of crypto users and another on the energy consumption of mining cryptocurrencies if the DCCPA becomes law. Both reports will be periodically updated and used to inform future legislation. The DCCPA also states that the CFTC will be tasked with international harmonization, which means working with foreign regulators to create consistent international standards for crypto regulation. So is this a de facto ban on DeFi? The potential impact on decentralized exchanges seen by many as an attempt by Bankman Fried to use regulation to push users away from DEXs and towards centralized exchanges, including what was his own, has been made only more galling for many DeFi supporters after Bankman Fried's alleged fraud was exposed. The leaked version of the draft, however, contains charges, or sorry, changes, that imply that StableNow and Boozman are sensitive to concerns that the bill could be interpreted as a blanket ban on DeFi. In October, Shapiro, the Delphi Labs lawyer, tweeted that the leaked version contains a limited exception to the term digital commodity trading facility that removes the word person from the definition and adds a line that exempts a person who develops or publishes software from the definition, adding that he thought the wording could be a boon to DeFi and crypto. Ladies and gentlemen, what have we learned? We learned that they have learned absolutely nothing at all. Nothing. They've learned nothing. Now the United States government is going to be one of the purveyors of this DeFi filth. As if U.S. treasuries weren't bad enough. They're going to be able to call the shots on a recommended set of commodities that United States investors are allowed to be into. None of you guys should be into DeFi at all. It's not, it, there's nothing about DeFi right now that makes any sense. I've said it once, I'll say it again. Unless your DeFi allows me to buy a house without any bank whatsoever in the mix, and good luck on that, then I don't need DeFi. And neither does anybody else. If I can't do the same thing for a car, then I don't need DeFi. And good luck getting somebody to say, yeah, I'm going to turn over this massive piece of property. You get the deed. And I'm just going to trust that this non-legacy traditional banking quote-unquote DeFi service is going to always be solvent. Bullshit. Not after, not after this week. Or rather, last week. No, no, no. Only Bitcoin matters, people. It's a tagline for this entire podcast. I don't say it. It's written. So if you're actually, if you're like, you know, 
I, I put all my stuff up on SoundCloud. There's a little box that says, hey, whatever you write <coughs> in this box will we'll scroll left to right whenever somebody's listening to the podcast on various platforms, but probably not all of them. And I write one thing in there and I've always written one thing in there as long as it's been available to me. And that is only Bitcoin matters. That's it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is just that easy. You don't have to worry about the corporate structure of FTX. And if you've seen that bowl of spaghetti, it'll fry your brain. My sister's been a lawyer at the highest levels of corporate America in mergers and acquisitions. I showed it to her. <laughs> I can't remember word for word what her response was, but she's like, basically, she's like, I've seen it before. Generally speaking, this is not good. Generally speaking, this is to hide and obfuscate a great amount of potentially bullshit dealings going on behind the scenes that nobody wants you to see. If you have not seen FTX's corporate structure, I'd go look it up. Even if you don't understand it, because I don't, I don't understand it. The only thing that I understand about it is that it's a bowl of spaghetti with a whole shitload of lines going to a whole bunch of different entities and there's partial ownership by four or five people at the very top of the fucking food chain, one of them being SBF himself. And all of those connections, all it looks to me like it's just for any regulator trying to get to the bottom of anything that it's an impossible, that it makes it an impossible task. I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, but I am staying, as I always have, as far away from altcoins, shitcoins, ICOs, DeFi, stablecoins, exchanges. I will not hold any appreciable amount of BTC on a hot wallet. Note, I say appreciable amount. You got a couple of hundred bucks on, like, uh, Strike, I'm not, I'm not going to get into your shit about it unless that's the only $200 that you have to your name. Then I'm not going to get into your shit about it. You got 20 grand on an exchange. Get it off. Get it off. If you don't know how ask on Bitcoin Twitter, I don't care what you've been into the last five years. I'm not going to give you shit about it. If you genuinely want to know how to get actual Bitcoin off and into self-custody. I can either help you or I can ask somebody that I know to help you. I don't know. Just get it off. And then I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.